When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Yesterday, the Arsenal returned to the top of the league after finally breaking the Brighton curse, winning 2-0 at the Emirates. I'm Jay Harris, and to talk about the game, I'm joined by Adrian Clark and Amy Lawrence. Morning to you both. Hiya. Morning, Jay. Just wanted to start off with um, something I spotted during the game yesterday. Brighton's defender Jack Hinshaw had lost his shin pad on the pitch. The ref gave it back to him. I don't know if you two saw this, but it was smaller than a bar of soap. So I just wanted to know if you had any modern footballer pet hates. <laughs> Personally, I love I love the small shin pad because that okay. I, I, I was... I was an advocate of that as a, as a player. So as a kid, I was sort of forced, I think, when, when those pads came out with the ankle protectors and whatnot, everyone has, felt like you had to wear them and I never liked it. And then when I sort of <laughs> became a grown-up and decided to find my own, you know, get my own shin pads, I always got for the smallest ones I possibly could just because I, I didn't want to feel them. I wanted to, to have the minimum there. So I'm, I'm out of the Jack Grealish school. So, but that was extraordinary. That that shin pad was just, that's not protecting anything, is it? Um, that that was borderline ludicrous. So, I'm I'm a fan of that. Pet hates, I've got quite a few, um, but I won't steal them all. <laughs> One that came to my mind just before we came on air was <laughs> footballers waxing their legs. I mean, where 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 is the hairy legged footballer these days? It just doesn't is happen. That a thing? I, I, yeah, I mean, you look. Have a look at them. I mean, you probably don't take any notice, Jay. Uh, maybe I've taken too much notice, but <laughs> it's just like they're just so smooth. You know, all these footballers just would never have happened back in the day. So that that annoys me. As do, as does the, the the turning up for games in headphones. There's no there's no chat. There's no banter coming off the coach. Everyone's in their own world. It's I don't know. Don't love it. Good stuff, Adrian. I like all of that. <laughs> Just a quick confession on those miniature shin pads. There are four of those in my house. Oh, anyway. Okay. Uh, and they are absurd. <laughs> so like most things, the kind of trends kind of when they take off at professional level, they very quickly filter down to grassroots and especially impressionable kids who want to do what the pros are doing. Hence, they like to cut the feet off their socks yeah. and get grip socks. Yeah. I mean, heaven forbid they should have to play a game without grip socks on. I don't know what anybody did before <laughs> grip socks. It seems to be the vibe. Um, and then cutting those little holes in the back of your socks like Bakayo does to release the pressure. Because there's so much pressure, Amy. You just wouldn't believe it. You know, it's, it's a crazy amount. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah it, it, anyway, I could see that there's the shin pads were, uh, you know, on offer on this website. They're mini minis. And I got them and I didn't, when they turned up, I was like, you were joking. I mean, I realised they were going to be small, but you couldn't tell from the website quite how to, how small. But I, 
I just don't really understand why you would have them at all if that's your purpose. Because, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of shin that you can hit that misses something that's kind of, I don't know, smaller than your little finger, really, you know, from top to bottom. I've, got, I've gone off topic. So what do I hate about modern footballers? Pet hate. Well, I mean... I know we spoke about this individual last week, so I shouldn't really go on or people will think that it's, you know, an agenda. But what was going on between Emmy Martinez <laughs> and Neil Mopé yesterday? You've um, stolen what oh, I was sorry. going to oh, say. Oh, sorry. Oh, go on, you far ahead. No, no, then no, I've no, spoken enough, but no, I just saw that and I thought, I can't be doing with this in football. This is so <laughs> yeah. silly. Well, I thought I had to bring it up because we obviously spoke about <laughs> Emmy Martinez last week. But I think um, just the pair of them, the way they um, theatrically exaggerated contact was just absolutely ridiculous. And I think Thomas Frank kind of summed it up perfectly. And he said the last 10 minutes of that game lacked class from from both teams in terms of rolling around and, and the stupidity of it all. So yes, I was going to bring up the man Martinez himself for <laughs> the ludicrous actions of what happened in, in Brentford v Villa yesterday. They're, they're two of the most unpopular opposition players for Arsenal fans, aren't they, Mopé and Martinez? So it would have surprised us not to see what happened there. That was. But I wonder if it's yeah. just Arsenal fans. I mean, when you see, see something like that, is that not a league-wide sense of like, oh, how aggravating do you want to be? No, I think Mopé sort of like revels in it. I've seen him do it a lot. So he got booked against Chelsea because he was warming up on the touchline. And I think Cole Palmer was trying to take a free kick. And um, as he jogged past Cole Palmer, he stuck his boot out and just rolled the ball slightly. So he got booked before he was even on the pitch. So he, he does stuff like that to, to every team. Shocking. But those two are definitely at the the apex of, um, if I'm, if I may swear, of shit housery. But anyways. <laughs> you certainly may in this company. <laughs> Moving on to happier topics. What a difference a week makes. You know, we were talking about feeling really hard done by um, at Aston Villa, slipped from first in the table. This week, Liverpool and Man City dropped points and we're back on top after a completely dominant performance. Just wanted to start off by asking just how impressive was, was Odegaard? Again, Amy, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about, you know, sometimes maybe he blows too hot and cold to be truly in that world-class bracket just yet. But he was instrumental in carving Brighton open, especially in that first half. I think Brighton had zero shots and, and we had 15. So just firstly wanted to start off and what you thought about Odegaard's performance, Amy? Well, he turned up uh, uh, and from the first minute it looked as if he'd been sort of like plugged into some sort of supercharge. I mean, he, <laughs> I was sitting next to Jordan Campbell of, uh, of The Athletic as well. And after about the first three or four minutes, I said, have you ever seen anyone scan as much as, uh, as Martin Odegaard? And his head was like just completely constantly rotating around to, to to check out what was going on. And it seemed like he was in sort of some kind of energetic overdrive in terms of his perception, not just, you know, physically like moving around. Um, and he just, he looked like he was just right back in the groove. You know, everything that you want from Martin Odegaard was in that performance, apart from maybe, you know, the accuracy with some of those long shots, which we all know he can do. But um, I don't know whether it was the birthday thing, but it's it felt like he really wanted to put on a show and wanted to make a difference. And his technical leadership, if you like, was really first class. And I think that was one of the reasons why Brighton kind of couldn't rest. They couldn't get a moment at all. And there was a very noticeable kind of high energy up-tempo about that first half. And sometimes I think that, there's a kind of infectious feeling 
that you get in football. You know, if you're a player and you see your teammates doing something, it lifts you. And I remember that back in the Invincibles times, you know, we're talking about outstanding great players. And they would say how sometimes, in a sort of tough away game, for example, when uh, it's a bit feisty and hostile, they would just need Patrick Vieira to go and smash through someone to win the ball. And they were like, right, okay. You know, it's like as if that was a sort of signal to get in gear and get going. And it felt a bit like Martin wanted to provide that level to say to his teammates, come on then, we're, we're, we're going to be at it today. We're going to be up-tempo. We're going to be relentless and we're going to get what we need. I also think that was deliberate. I think it was a part of a tactical ploy. Not, not that it's unusual for Arsenal to do that, but I said it before the game, Brighton played on Thursday and a knackering game. They're stretched by injuries. This is a game where when it goes out for a throw-in, when it's a restart, when it's a free kick, play it quickly, be relentless, just smother them and uh, and they won't have the energy to live with it. And I, I think we all saw that, that happen. It was fantastic. Just, just wanted to say, because we obviously saw elements of this in the defeat to Aston Villa, but about killing games off and taking the chances and, and being ruthless. So is that the main lesson that, that Arsenal need to learn at the moment, that they just need to find a way to kill games off earlier? Because as we've all said, Arsenal were dominant, but it wasn't until the, the 87th minute where I think everybody could relax. <laughs> yeah, the finishing wasn't great, was it? But yeah, I, you couldn't grumble about this performance. I think, yeah, of course, you've got to be more ruthless. You've got to, you, you can't be as wasteful. But when you're carving out as many chances as Arsenal carved out in this game, you, you can afford to, to miss a few, can't you? No, I, I just think we can be really positive about this display. For me, it was almost like a perfect Mikel Arteta performance. Just total control, good imagination as well, great tempo to it, um, some lovely moments. Yeah, all that was lacking was 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 more goals. We gave Brighton nothing apart from that one near post shot in the second half. It was, I mean, no one's done this to Brighton. This was this was the most shots they've faced in a match under Roberto De Zerbi. Uh, it was the fewest shots they've had on target in a match under Roberto De Zerbi. It's only the second time in I think twenty four away games under him that they haven't scored. So this was. We did a job on Brighton that no one's really done very often. I think Villa spanked them, but that's about it. So I, I just thought it was a brilliant all-round team performance. The only gripe was the finishing, as you say, Jay. Well, I can just quickly expand on some of those um, Brighton stats that you just said. So Brighton had scored in their last 32 Premier League games. They'd averaged 2.1 goals per game and had 17 shots on average per game whereas they only had six shots versus Arsenal for a 0.7 XG. So that says it all. So I know you've spoken about Mikel Arteta, kind of that perfect, a typical Arteta performance in terms of the control, but was there anything in particular that either of you two spotted which just allowed Arsenal to kind of just put the foot down on Brighton in such a dominant way? Two words. <laughs> Declan Rice. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> What is this guy? <laughs> uh, uh, that's a slightly facetious comment, but he was just... He, it's one of those nice things, I think, kind of tried to capture it in, in, in the piece, but it, like you've just sensed the crowd gasping at times when he got going. 
and when he when he starts to stride, it's really a sight. And he's he he seems to be bringing more and more to the game. It's almost as if, like when you know when you're starting off with something, you just you know you start with the ground floor, you build the foundations, and you make sure everything's uh, solid, and then you start to add the embellishments and you know more to it. And that seems to be what's happening with with him. That he's had that first period where it's been about, I guess. I think he spoke a bit, a bit about it before, trying to adapt his game to the details of what Arteta wants from him. And, you know, that obviously took a little bit of learning behind the scenes to try and control what he's thinking during a game if it's not the stuff that just comes naturally to you. Uh, and and with that then settled, it's like he's found this new gear where he feels he can just, okay, he's got a bit more freedom. And that's one of the things that I think comes from the way that when the whole team is on song like this, there's a bit more of a freestyle jazz element of their structure. You know, you like you think of an Arteta team of being very structured and hyper-organised. And yet, I think within that, there is this kind of like, um, this little bit of latitude, but it only works because other people cover for you. So therefore, you know, if you do, what's Gabriel Magalhaes doing up there on the right wing at one point and he nearly scored? Or what's... You know, Havertz doing back on the edge of his own area, or what's people are popping up in all sorts of strange positions at the moment, and I think that's just because they're all developing that sense and understanding of okay, this one's taken a little bit of a gamble by by moving out of his spot, so I'll just tuck in, and it just seems it works when everybody's on the same page, and uh, that was I think what what you felt yesterday, and it was really interesting because it felt like a development in the team. I liked um, your description in the piece of Declan Rice's monster truck charges up the pitch, I think it was. <laughs> and uh, I know Wrighty on a match of the day said, um, maybe we should give West Ham an extra £20 million pounds for him as well, and that we, we underpaid for him, which I thought was pretty apt. It, people said that on our show yesterday on the Breakdown Live. People were saying, saying the exact same thing. Like, we, we almost feel guilty. Should we give him a little bit more cash because he's that good? <laughs> um, but he, he absolutely suffocated. Brighton, obviously they they want to play out from the back. We knew that, and he 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 was like um, he was like a player that that was in a youth game that was sort of he was sixteen and the others were twelve. <laughs> like he's just too quick, too powerful, too too dominant, and they just couldn't couldn't get past him. I think four times he he won the ball inside the opposition half really noticeably to to make things happen. He did lots of other things as well that were great. So yeah, it was it was an epic performance from Rice, particularly in in that second half. Um, and and talking of gears, I, I just think at West Ham under Moyes, you know, a good manager, but but much more limited tactically. I I just think he could only ever get to fourth gear, and now Arteta sort of unlocked more in his football brain, and and now he's you know he can get to the full six gears, can't he? And and he's and he's right in there now. Do you think, Adrian, that that's something? that other players or targets might notice. Do you think that becomes part of a potential sales pitch to, you know, a, a coveted player that you might, that Arsenal might be interested in, who's elite? For, for sure, absolutely. You know, that, okay, yeah, I, I think I'm pretty good, but I think this, I think in this condition, I can get better. Yeah, well, you've got tangible evidence, haven't you, in, in Rice and, and probably in a few of the other signings as well, but, but really, it really stands out with Declan. 
So yeah, I mean, they, they all make these presentations and, and one of the main um, plus points for, for Arteta when he goes into these meetings with potential signings is look how I've improved this player. Look, look, look what's happened to this player, this player. It's a pretty easy sell. <laughs> we've, we've obviously talked a lot about Rice, but along with Saliba, Gabriel and Jesus, you know, those four are kind of the spine of the team. Just wanted to ask you both, how important are those four? Because they seem absolutely relentless at times. Gabriel was great because Brighton want to draw you in, don't they? To then go long. And and every time it went long, Gabriel and Saliba just smothered the strikers. They, they were very aggressive. So that was good. For me, Jesus, there were three outstanding players. I think everybody played really well, but three outstanding performances. We've mentioned Erdegaard. We've mentioned Rice. The, the third for me was Gabriel Jesus. I thought he was phenomenal. Great imagination at times, movement, energy, but he did not misplace a single pass, which I think is incredible for a striker in a Premier League game against defenders that are bumping you all over the place. You've got, a, you've got your back to goal and people are fizzing it into you and you're looking after it and you're giving it to a teammate. And he, I think he had over 30 passes and every single one was successful. And that does not half help, especially against a team like Brighton, who are kind of built around transitions about their pressing and like they're going to, they're going to work hard to win it back. And when they win it back, they've got phenomenal attackers, really exciting players that can hurt you. That's why they've scored so many goals. And Jesus didn't lose it once. I just thought that was that was magnificent and he deserved his goal. I know, Amy, you compared um, Jesus' goal to that of a George Graham set-piece routine with a twist. <laughs> well, the twist being that the near place flick-on came from a member of the opposition. But it was uh, it was straight out of the old playbook. It, you know, a, 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 an in-swinger with a little bit of pace on it, a glancing header, and then there's someone free at the far post to uh, be ruthless. And um, yeah, it just, I think it's, um, I saw Lee Dixon not that long ago and he was laughing because he said that down the training ground at one point and the set piece coach was working on this kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, you know, this new set piece coach with all this modern, (laughs) amazing thinking. He's like, we were doing that (laughs) in the 80s. But it just goes to show a well-rehearsed routine. And it is something that they're doing a lot. Obviously, a lot of set piece goals has been really helpful for Arsenal, but they seem to be making that same move where everyone starts at the far post and they all run on mass to the near post to see who might get get onto it. And uh, there was another one that was really close. Was it Ben White who uh, got up and flipped? Yeah. I think it was maybe even going in. And um, Dunk, who was very good for Brighton, uh, sort of holding them together almost single-handedly at one point. He uh, he got it away. Yeah, that chest back to the keeper was good, wasn't it, from him? On, on, the, on that set piece quickly, obviously the... Teams set up this zonal marking, don't they, where they have all the players sort of in the central area in the near post. But then because we put so many players at the back post, they have to have a couple of man markers. And basically the idea is very simple, isn't it? It's let's just have one extra compared to compared to them and all charged towards the near post except for one because it's just human nature that that you go towards the ball that you you follow your man. And um, yeah, it's not the first time we scored at the far post when everyone's rushed towards the near post this season. So, um, yeah, well played, uh, Nicholas Jover and the, and the staff. Well, just the, the actual stat on the amount of goals Arsenal scores from corners this season is, is eight. So that's more than any other team. So in a game like this, where, as we said, maybe the finishing was a little bit off, sometimes that can be 
the key difference. And just finally, one more time on, on Gabriel Jesus, this ridiculous stat, which still exists to this day, that he's still never lost a Premier League match in which he scored. So it's now at 59 matches, 54 wins and five draws. That is just absolutely <laughs> remarkable. It is, yeah. It's a, funny, it's a funny stat, isn't it? Because... You know, there are games where you, you you're you're going to lose and you end up getting a consolation goal, and obviously he's he's avoided that um, throughout throughout his Premier League career. But I mean, it's a, yeah, it's good to have a lucky charm of sorts, isn't it? So let's hope he scores at Anfield, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right, we're going to have a quick break, but we'll be back very shortly. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by the Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. They get a handbrake off and you can see that they are more free to play. You're listening to Jay Harris, Adrian Clark, and Amy Lawrence here on Handbrake Off. Moving on, wanted to talk about who got the second goal. Havertz finally killing off the game in the, I think it was the 87th minute. I think that's three in his last five Premier League games. I just wanted to ask you, Amy, first, how important was that Havertz goal? Obviously in the context of the game, but also for him. Yeah, I think there's a difference between scoring goals and scoring important goals. And he's had that that uh, boosting feeling of scoring a couple of important goals. You know, you think back to that, uh, what they call pity penalty, the, the first one down at Bournemouth, wasn't it? <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm told he was almost a bit embarrassed at that point to sort of like, go and do any media or something. Obviously people were like, oh, look, Havertz has got his first goal, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, nah, yeah. Because he's a, a sensible guy and he knows and he didn't feel it then, um, but he's feeling it now. And that's really a massive asset, I think, for him as well as for Arsenal. But it was really needed because you just had that nagging feeling. I was beginning to get antsy, actually, in that last sort of 15 minutes because... Once Brighton made their subs, they did start to eat away a little bit at that dominance that Arsenal had had for pretty much the whole game. And you just have that thing thinking, oh my God, is this, wouldn't this be so typical to have like 25 chances and then the opposition sort of nick one, you know, all your good work is undone. So the way that Arsenal were able to handle that, and they, were, they did keep trying to get goals uh, on the break, even when Brighton had a bit more of the ball. And there were a few... <laughs> Very like, oh no, you know, how did that one not go in? That would have been brilliant. So actually when it came, it was it was a real sense of relief, I think, to feel that that game was done, especially because Pascal Gross had had a really good opportunity to um, to equalise not that, not that long before. But I'm interested by the Havertz thing because obviously we can feel very, very directly the influence. Of, if you look at the new players that have come in and what a tragedy, by the way, that we haven't got to 
we're not having these conversations about timber as well because that would be ideal. But, you know, the Raya thing everyone knows is slightly complex, but, you know, he did look a bit more settled in in the game against Brighton and you could see a bit more about using him as a as a sort of extra sweeper is part of the thinking of, of, of you know, being able to control games better. Um, Rice, we all know, is the, you know, the monster truck superhero and just getting better and better. And then there was this clear sort of delay on the Havertz situation. Well, I think everyone had to be super patient, including himself, including his manager, including his teammates, as well as all the fans and people outside. Um, and the rewards are coming. And I think you don't have to go back too far to think that people were, were of the opinion like he'd never be worth 65 million or, you know, it wasn't going to, it just couldn't see how it was going to work. And now you start to see what the plan was. And I still think there's more to come from him, you know, and he's not just about goal scoring, but evidently him getting goals for this team is a, a huge factor in essentially replacing Granit Xhaka with a completely different profile of player. So it is beginning to repay this, you know, this faith that Mikel Arteta put in him to be the chosen one for that role. And yes, I still think there's going to be bigger games, uh, badder games where he's got to impose and, and make a difference but it's, it's another huge stride in the right direction. Just You don't really feel like people are questioning him so much now. We're just watching him as part of the team. And that's that's a big, a big step. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned important goals. So it was obviously the winner against Brentford, the equaliser against Luton, and then obviously settling everybody's nerves yesterday. So just wanted to read what Arteta said about Havertz after the game. He said his confidence is growing. He feels more secure in that field. His performances, the intelligence he shows on the pitch, the aggression, his work rate, it is top, really good. And then Gabriel Jesus also spoke about Havertz after the game and what he's brought to Arsenal. And he said, a lot, a lot. We always joke he won a Champions League against me. Now I want to win one with him, Georgie as well. He's an amazing player, the way he played. He's so strong, tall and quality, fighting every time. So it's good to see that everybody's kind of built into helping Havertz fulfil his potential. And I know, Amy, you touched on it there, but Adrian, would you agree that he's finally starting to make that position his own. Yeah, it feels like it, doesn't it? Yeah, he seems like there's, there's been quite a battle to, to sort of claim that spot and he's definitely in pole position. Yeah, I, I'd agree with all those things said about him, really. I mean, he, he, he does work harder than you think. He's more aggressive than you think. He wins the ball back a lot. I think he looks after the ball really, really well and that's obviously really vital for a team that wants to control matches. The height factor is a thing you know it has to be you know having one extra tall player inside the box or, or you know at both ends of the pitch helps massively um, but he's when when we signed him I imagined him ghosting into the box to score goals That that's what I thought he was really brought to do and he's starting to do it isn't he obviously those goals that you talked about all of them were like that. He snuck up at the far post at Brentford. Great third man run when Jesus vacates the centre forward spot at Luton. And this one pulls left in order to run in behind. And it was a really, really cool finish. So 
Yeah, he's he's a classy player, really classy player. He he had four touches inside the box in this game, and all of them were shots. So he's picking his moments better and better, and and he's producing more quality from those moments, isn't he? So yeah, I, I like what I'm seeing. Should have scored from that header though, no? <laughs> yeah, that one he should have scored. Yeah, that wasn't great, <laughs> but but yeah, he's in there, you know, and. Yeah, I, I kind of, there's a part of me that wants to speed him up sometimes, you know, uh, and, and there was one breakaway that we had and he had a chance to release Martinelli and he played it behind him. So, you know, there there are, there's scope for development there, but yeah, he had a lot to learn. Playing for Arteta, I imagine, because none of us are there, I imagine it's quite complicated at first with all the instructions and, and, and the details that, that the players talk about. And yeah, it can... Some players, it can just sink in just like that. And for others, it can just frazzle you a little bit. And and maybe that's what happened with him. So, yeah, I'm loving what I'm seeing from Kai Havertz. And I, I want him to start at Anfield now. I, I, a few weeks ago, I would have said, no, nah, I think let's go with let's go with Shoshini and, and Rice and Erdegaard. But now I'm thinking, no, let's, let's try and control this game. Let's get at Liverpool, get players into the box and ask questions of that slightly questionable Liverpool defence um, so yeah I think he's earned his place in that game now well I have to ask you now I mean would, would you agree does Havertz gets in your starting 11 for next Saturday at Anfield well since I just started <laughs> talking about that I kind of brain went to pieces and I started getting butterflies I'm not ready to think about that just yet <laughs> no we're not ready no. to yeah yeah there's a, there'll be a long run up to that game Jay yeah <laughs> well quickly before we we move on to some other bits and pieces just wanted to um again read out what Lewis Duncan Roberto De Zerbi said after the game they were full of praise Dunk said they pressed us super aggressively and we struggled to play the game we usually play De Zerbi went a step further he said we suffered a lot I think Arsenal, one of the best, maybe this season, the best team in the Premier League. We're not used to suffering in this way. We're used to controlling the game. High praise indeed. So um, there was an incident in the first half when um, Mikel was booked. Um, I think it was after Matoma fouled Bukayo Saka. And there are a couple of occasions where Brighton players appear to take issue with the referee's decision and, and receive no card. And, you know, Mikel, as he often does, kind of getting involved with the referee, does this kind of reinforce the narrative that Mikel's made an example of when the second he kind of protests a, a situation, he's booked instantly? I don't know is the answer. I'd, I'd like to think there's no, they're not picking on him. I'd like to think that. And I don't think it would be conscious. I genuinely don't. I know a loads of listeners will be saying, of course it's an agenda, of course they're against us. I don't I don't necessarily buy into that. But what Mikel, what Mikel is, is very animated, isn't he? And 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 manager uh, managers are are not allowed to be animated, it seems anymore. Referees of all the things to get really, um, you know, uh, anal about. It's it's managers ha- daring to question a decision, and you know, I I don't, I don't really understand why that's become such a such a big deal with the PGMOL, but. It has. And Mikel is very um, open and obviously he was, what was he doing? He was sort of doing jazz hands. It was weird, wasn't it? <laughs> what, what he got yellow carded for. Um, so, so he's an easy, he, he, he's like a beacon. He attracts attention. 
um, because he's hopping around in that technical area, probably gets on the nerves of a lot of fourth officials as well. And as we know, they're all in contact, aren't they, on 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 the on the speaker? So, but someone getting on someone's nerves is not justification for, you know. I, I disagree with it. I, I, I think so I think referees have got to be more allowed. They've got to allow yeah. emotion in the game. You cannot play the game unemotionally, and you cannot expect it. And there are obvious lines that need to yeah. be crossed. And yeah. I think we all would agree with that. And there's a, a a very clear issue that runs all the way to grassroots with a lack of respect for referees, which is copycatted off the TV, and it is a massive problem. But I think there has to. I think it's it's got. It's like trying to solve um, a small problem with a with a you know a ten ton weight. <laughs> and I think that's the bit that I find is difficult because we're all human and we all get emotional um, for lots of different reasons. And when we're emotional, we maybe you know don't have the same um, rationale as otherwise, but. Expecting people who are living the game to the extent that they are to be unemotional, it doesn't work. So it, I think we have to change the threshold somehow. If we're going to book, if we're going to book a manager for over celebrating or excessive waving, um, <laughs> you know. And I, I, I haven't watched it back, but I mean, I saw somewhere on on Twitter that you know all that he actually did was this jazz hands waving and said hello. Now, if yeah. that is true, in what universe is that a cautionable offence? If you tell the referee to F off, if yeah. you call them a cheat, if you, you know, whatever, that is a slightly different scenario. A very different but thing, yeah. That, you know, not- they do need to actually take stock and have a look uh, as officials and ask themselves, is this correct? And if it is, then if you're saying you're going to miss a game after three bookings for a manager, something is going very weird here. It's just not, it's not... Um, in line. I mean, there's a lot that you could query is not in line. And, you know, I mean, I felt, sim- you know, there was a lot of uh, sympathy for um, Diogo Dallo at, at Man United as well, getting that kind of Martinelli style double caution for protesting against an incorrect decision in the last minute of a game when they're desperate for a point at their away at their, you know, most hated rivals. It's not right to, to you know, it might be the letter of the law, but it's, the law's an ass sometimes about things like this. And I think we have to try and find a way. And I like the way when Mikel and all the judgment and was going on with his FA charge kept talking about we. We have to find football stakeholders collectively have to work together to find a better way. And it would have been very easy to turn around and say, well, Mikel was proven right and the FA were, you know, got sent packing with their, their charge, et cetera, et cetera. But no. The reality is it's not working. It's not perfect. It's far from. And the way to address it is to try and work together and understand each other and reach some sort of sensible compromise where it's, you know, it flows and people are not feeling so. I mean, Mikhail's face, in fairness, when the yellow card came out, was an amazing study of a man trying with every cell of his being not to say something expressive <laughs> do you know what I, it, 
It'll get booked for smiling next. Well, that's what I'll get. You know, smiling. it was a sarcastic yeah. smile. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's it. It's so mad. You, you could probably add up his next three yellows: one for excessive celebrating, which wasn't excessive; one for waving his hands, uh, and and one for probably a sarcastic smile. And then you miss a game. I mean, what world are we living in? It's it's bonkers. I completely agree with everything you said, Amy. Well, um, Arteta's response post-match did make me chuckle. That He said he, the jazz hands, he was actually waving at Gabriel Martinelli. Um, in regards to what Arteta said after the defeat to Newcastle, the FA argued that Arteta was more worthy of punishment than other managers because of his high profile. And that argument was rejected by the independent commission. So not too sure if you two agree with this. I'm intrigued to get your thoughts. But to me, that sort of sounds like the FA felt it was appropriate to charge Mikel Arteta because he's Arsenal manager and managers maybe at smaller clubs in the league might not have received the same punishment. Is is that how you interpreted it? Well, it's just not fair, is it? So yeah, you can't you can't have that. Um, it's, the FA really should be pulled up on that. You know, I, I think Arsenal handled it with a, quite a lot of class, really. They obviously played it pretty cleverly in terms of the the hearing and whatnot, but. Yeah, you, you can't. That's not accept. That's not acceptable from the FA to to pick on someone just because they have a high profile. I mean, it's just not right. And I think the others and we, the the, the we that Mikhail talks about, needs to needs to pull together and say, hang on, this isn't right. You can't you can't do that moving forward. Moving on from that, I know last week with the Arsenal women's team, such a positive performance and statement win against Chelsea. Quite a disappointing afternoon on, on Saturday as, as Arsenal lost to Tottenham for the first time in, in the WSL. I mean, Arsenal had 31 shots. Spurs had four. Yeah, I'm basically not too sure how Arsenal didn't score. Um, you know, Cap- Captain Ford, I think, hit the post a couple of times. Everything looked good. And it was, I know we we're talking about, you know, Arteta side and the, the lack of clinical edge in the first half against Brighton. And it kind of felt felt the exact same here. Had every opportunity to score, but for whatever reason, just couldn't do it. And and basically Spurs' goal comes from, I think it's Bizet who runs down the, the right wing and um, three defenders get attracted to her and just leave, I think it's Martha Thomas, basically completely free in the box to to score. So it was, you know, one or two mistakes and, and, and game over, unfortunately. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think the, if there's an area, if, if, it's strange to say this. I still th- I still feel confident that Arsenal women will score lots of goals this season because they've got so many good forward players. But th- this was the story of their defeat against Liverpool, wasn't it? Where they, where they had all the, all the chances, could, couldn't find the back of the net. So that is a slight concern. But I'd say if there's a weakness in the team, it might be at the moment at the back with the centre halves in terms of settling on a combination. You've got lots of choices there, but I'm not quite sure Jonas Adevel knows his, his best too. Obviously, Leah Williamson hopefully isn't too far away. I think she'll make a big difference when she comes back. But yeah, no, I was really surprised at this result because um, I saw Spurs recently at Leicester when I watched Leicester women v Spurs women. And yeah, Leicester were good value for the draw. So yeah, I expected us to win. So it's a, it's a, it's a choker, but got to bounce back like Arsenal mended you know the, the, the Villa defeat they've bounced back nicely exactly so we're recording this at the same time as the, the Champions League draw this morning so we'll talk about you know Arsenal's opponents properly on, on Thursday's podcast and we'll jump straight to the song choices I know Amy at the beginning you said you hadn't hadn't thought of one yet I'm hoping that we've given you some inspiration so I'll start with you first <laughs> and really put the pressure on Okay, no problem. Well, I've gone for Cameo and Word Up, inspired Oof. by 
Mikael's jazz hands and the line, <laughs> wave your hands in the air like you don't care. <laughs> so, Very good. That's brilliant. That's about as good as I can come up with at short notice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go for uh, Snap, the power. Um, this time of year with the dances on, it's always a, a song that, that comes into my head because obviously it was Phil the Power Taylor used to, used to come out to this. But I just thought it was an incredibly powerful performance, particularly from Declan Rice. Um, he was on, a, he was on a, a different level to the players who were up, up against in that, in that Brighton engine room. And um, yeah, we looked a powerful team. Um, on, on Sunday so yeah the power for me so I um, saw the Wonka film last week much better than I expected if, if either of you two are intrigued in, in going to watch it and I'm going to go for <laughs> pure imagination because I'm feeling you know, optimistic about Arsenal's chances of, of winning the title this season. Reach out, touch what was once just in your imagination. And that's only doubled down after Man City drew to all with, with Crystal Palace um, uh, on Saturday afternoon. I commentated on it, Jay. I commentated on it for TalkSport, <laughs> for TalkSport, uh, their international feed. I mean, I tried to be neutral, but I got, I got, I got quite excited about the penalty. <laughs> I think it was along the lines of, it's a penalty! That is a penalty! <laughs> so, so yeah, I probably, yeah, I probably let the mask slip a little bit there, but oh, what a bonus, what a bonus. I mean, I don't, I don't blame you at all. Um, not at all, because, you know, two, two no up, Cruising, I don't think anybody expected that. So, um, yeah, you're forgiven in my eyes. Are you guys scratching your heads a little bit that this Man City, um, I don't know quite what the right word is, a slightly underwhelming set of results is gone on as long as this? Um, not scratching my heads. I'm, I'm grateful for it. <laughs> I think, just quickly, they've obviously lost um, players like Gundogan, Mares, who have been in Guardiola's team for what five six seven eight years I know we we're talking earlier about players needing time to adjust under Arteta and I'm pretty certain it's the exact same with Guardiola so certainly a few um, kinks to iron out but Tuna up at, at home against Crystal Palace with 15 minutes left they, they should have seen it out but um, just a few very um, strange mistakes I mean I don't know if you've seen it but Edison was maybe a little bit lucky to stay on the pitch anyways because he completely wiped out um, Jean-Philippe Mateta even before before Palace got the first goal back. Um, so yeah, a few uncharacteristic mistakes in the team at the moment, I think. It's hard. It's hard to keep that tempo. We talked about boiling point, didn't we, a few few weeks ago, Amy, and about the two twelve and, and and being there. And it's hard when you've won the treble. It's hard to then bring it up to the boil and, and stay there every single game. I, I think City are good enough to win when they're not at boiling point, but sometimes if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're a little bit lukewarm, you'll drop points. And I think that's, I think it's a mental thing as well as the personnel issue. I think Gundogan is a, is a big old absence. He, he saved them a few times last year. 
All right, that's it for today. Massive thanks to Amy and to Adrian and thanks to Jay, our producer. I've been Jay Harris. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll see you on Thursday where we'll be previewing a massive game at Anfield and talking about our Champions League round of 16 opponents. Until next time. Thank you.